I sort of want to start out today with a little crowd participation. It's your favorite. Crowd participation, okay? Stretch your face muscles, you know, get ready. I want you, with your face, to give me the best impression that you have of a happy face, excited face. Come on, some of you got to, like, at least try. Or maybe that's your face all the time. I don't know. Um, How about a confused face? Confused. Okay, that's that's pretty good. Uh, How about a scowl, very upset about what what you're hearing? I mean, okay, that's very friendly. Scowls, very friendly. Uh, okay, let, here's, we're going to make a little bit of noise. How about your best impression of a boo? You're not happy about it. Okay, Steph is the winner on that one. Uh, best impression of a laugh track. I like that. I like that. Best impression of cheering. All right, you guys did great. You pass. Uh, here's why I wanted to start that that way. Odds are really, really good as we talk today that you're going to feel all of those things. And so I wanted to practice before we got started so that you had a, a good sense of where you were going. Uh, given the topic, odds are really good that you're going to feel a whole bunch of things today. Okay. And so, uh, you know, we're continuing this series that we've been in for a number of weeks called God, I Have a Question. And we're looking at real questions that people inside and outside the church are asking um, and and are wrestling with. And today we're going to look at the question, does a Christian have to align with a political party? Scowl? Do you see what I'm saying? And so before we get too uh, far into this, because this topic comes with a lot of baggage, I want to say the same thing I've said a number of times before we get started is, anxiety is going to rise up in you at some point as we talk. Odds are just really good. Like maybe a handful of you won't, but odds are really good for many of you. Anxiety is going to well up, and I want you to manage your anxiety and listen to what I'm saying. And then when you get to the parking lot and you get to lunch, you can be angry at me, okay? But maybe, maybe God would call you to wrestle with some things, okay? Trust me, like this is like, you know, they say stay away from religion and politics, right? And we're in church, so religion is sort of fair game. But really, shouldn't politics be a fair game inside the church too? Like, shouldn't we be able to talk about the hard things of life? Shouldn't we be able to talk about money and sex and all the things that nobody really says they say to avoid? Like, where else are we going to talk about this? It's like those of you who have kids, you send your kids to school and you hope they don't learn about the birds and the bees at school, right? You want them to learn from you because you want to teach them the right way. Don't you think that's what the church ought to be? That we ought to be able to talk about hard things and talk about things that are uncomfortable and say, Let's sort of hold this up before the Lord and just see. Let's just see what God might say, okay? Is that fair? No rotten tomatoes. Don't throw anything at me. You can scowl. Don't throw money. You can put it in the basket. Uh, I want to begin also by acknowledging that there is a wide array. You may not know it. You come here 
and you look around and you're like, man, these people all believe politically like I do. But I know for a fact from having conversations with all of you that we have people in this room that run the whole political spectrum. You may not know it. This is surprising to some of you that you are sitting, if you're a Republican, you're sitting next to a Democrat. Shocking, I know. If you are a Democrat, you are sitting next to a Republican. Shocking. But here's the thing. That's actually very, very beautiful, don't you think? Like where else in society, other than places where you're forced to do so, like the motor vehicles and all that stuff, where else in society do we gather such a diverse group of people? It just doesn't happen. And so I want to begin by just acknowledging that sort of this comes with a fair bit of like, like it's a tiptoe issue a lot of times because I'm going to say something to you that, that you're going to agree with, but the person next to you is going to throw their hand up and hit you. And just have grace, turn the other cheek, they'll hit it too. I'm kidding, I hope. But I also want to acknowledge before we get into this that this is, for many people, some of you maybe who don't have a relationship with Jesus, this is an extremely sore subject, that it comes with a whole lot of issue for, for those who have considered or are considering faith in Jesus. That, that for so many who are not followers of Jesus, the way Christians in America have handled our political persuasions has really caused a roadblock to faith. I was having a conversation uh, with a couple of guys. I used to fly for the airlines, and I got to share my faith at the airlines a lot and with a lot of people all over the map, and literally and figuratively, I guess. Yep, yep. Just, yep. <laughs> um, but when I left the airlines, I haven't really gotten to follow up with a lot of these folks, but I had a, uh, an internet conversation um, on Facebook with a couple of guys that I used to fly with who I felt like we had made a decent connection around, like, not that they were, you know, followers of Jesus, but they at least, we had had an understanding of, of what that meant. And one of them said to me, he said, you know, the problem is, is nobody speaks up nowadays against the things that are wrong. It makes Christianity really implausible to me. We as followers of Jesus have not done a good job, I don't think, at handling our um, our political persuasions. And so I want to talk about this because I, my hope is that when we leave here, maybe we can be and do something different. I think one of the things that happens frequently is that Christians have, we as Christians have this, this innate, and maybe it's everybody, but we sort of cloak our political opinion in Jesus. You know, we sort of go, this is what I think, and so because I'm a Christian, that's what Jesus thinks too. And I think it makes it really tough for people who don't know Jesus to get through the political opinion. And here's the other thing is, you know, you, everybody wants to, to have a piece of Jesus, right? Like everybody wants a part. Republicans say, see, Jesus, he's a Republican. And Democrats say, see, Jesus, he's a Democrat. And libertarians say, Jesus, he hates government like I do. And... Right? Like, but everybody sort and everybody quotes scripture, don't we? 
Don't we say, well, see, Jesus is with these people, and so am I. So therefore, Jesus is on my side. And if that wasn't confusing enough, the disunity inside the church that often happens from holding uh, various political positions with a death grip is just absolutely disorienting. It's absolutely disorienting with a person who's trying to discover faith in Jesus that we would hold so tightly to political opinions and so loosely to welcome to Jesus. It's just disorienting. And so it looks quite often like the exact opposite of what Jesus prayed. And I'll read this out of John 17. He says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. This is us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. There's something, there's supposed to be something within the unity of the church that has an evangelistic purpose. It says there must be a God, that Jesus must actually be who he says he is if you can get this many diverse opinions in one room and they would stay united. That's supposed to be what happens. That people would look at this and they would say, well, the only other place I see this diverse of a group of people in one place is motor vehicles, and it's because they're forced to be there. These people choose to be with one another around the name of Jesus, and regardless of the differences of opinion, they stay together. There's something about unity that's supposed to be evangelistic. And if these people genuinely love one another and united, the only possible explanation is Jesus must have come. That's what Jesus said, right? That there's supposed to be something about the way that we interact. The witness of the unified, loving community of followers of Jesus is supposed to have an evangelistic characteristic. Certainly those of us who follow Jesus wouldn't allow something as silly as political party divide come between us, would we? The United States of America has been around for 200, about 250 years, right? Which is a relative blip on human history. Uh, and both the D- Democratic and the Republican parties have been around for less time than that. Roughly 170 years, roughly. So these are really small. Certainly those of us who follow the resurrected Jesus, who, have been, who has been on the throne for 2,000 years, wouldn't allow something as temporary as political party divide us, would we? And yet the reality is that we all know the answer to the question has frequently been a resounding yes. It's been a constant yes. And we all want Jesus to back our political agendas, don't we? But what we find if we, if we take an honest look at Scripture, through an honest reading of Scripture, is Jesus doesn't fit neatly into any of our political boxes. It just doesn't fit. We frequently forget that people already tried to make Jesus a political king, If you look at John 6, here's what we read. It says, After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they had intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. If what Jesus wanted was earthly change, he would have accepted and begun to rule. But Jesus was doing something else. 
Everybody wants Jesus in their corner, don't they? But here's uh, what Pastor Tony Evans said. He said, Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. Or maybe Abraham Lincoln will do. Sir, my, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. We all want God on our side, but how often we forget that it's really us who needs to move. Both of these statements, I think, are saying something that we need to hear. It's not appropriate for us to try to get Jesus on our side of the political landscape. When you surrender your life to Jesus, what you're saying is, I give up. I am no longer in charge. You are now in charge. I'll take my orders now, Master. We don't try to make Jesus our pawn. We surrender. He's in charge. And here's my point for the whole day. Put the kingdom of God ahead of your politics. Put the kingdom of God ahead of your politics. And many of you are looking at me thinking, done. You know, I'm here at church. I, I'm a part of a small group. I, you know, I've given my life to Jesus. I've been baptized. You know, I'm working on giving generously. And I, I've done it. I, I've put Jesus and the kingdom ahead of my politics. Don't you worry. But I want you to know that this is so hard to see in ourselves that very few of us have actually done it, and most of us think we have. Scowl. I'm serious. I think a lot of times we trick ourselves into thinking we've much more surrendered our agenda than we actually have. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Matthew 6. And we're going to look here for a little bit. Matthew 6 is like right in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And, and it's, it's, so Jesus is preaching, and, and he's just concluded this section where what he says is, you can't serve two masters. And then he says it in the context of money, but then he's, it's basically applicable to the whole rest of the passage. You can't serve two masters. And the thrust of the passage is Jesus says you have to serve God first. This has to be the primary focus of your life is to serve God. He picks up at verse 25. So verse 25, and here's what it says. It says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear, or who shall we vote for? I put that part in. For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. 
Jesus says to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. What does it mean when Jesus says the kingdom of God? What are we seeking first in the kingdom of God? It's wherever God's will is perfectly done. This is what the kingdom of God is. It's not the church. It's not heaven. It's wherever God's will is perfectly done. The kingdom of God, when Jesus showed up, the kingdom of God broke into this world. And yet when Jesus left, what he said is, I will come again and bring the kingdom fully. That the kingdom of God, God's dynamic rule and reign on this planet would take place fully later. But for now, we see it break in. We see it in in things like healing. We pray for healing. Well, when God gets his way, there's no more sickness. When God gets his way, there's no more mental illness. When God gets his way, there's no more suicide. When God gets his way, people are cared for. When God gets his way, infertility is not real. This is what Jesus says to chase after, the kingdom of God, the rule of God in your life and in the world. And as we read this passage, Jesus points out a warning sign. It's like a a flashing red light on your dashboard for how you can tell when you're seeking something other than the kingdom. He says, you want to know how you can tell the kingdom of God is not ahead of your politics? You worry about politics. You worry. Jesus, I mean, look how many times Jesus says about worry. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Verse 27, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Verse 28, why do you worry about clothes? Verse 31, so do not worry. Verse 34, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Jesus says if you are worrying about it, apparently it is more, it's ahead of the kingdom. If you are worried about it, the kingdom is not first. You want to know how you can tell that you've placed your politics in front of the kingdom? You worry about politics. You live in fear about politics. Your hope rises and falls on political happenings. You see the polls and your blood pressure goes up or down. Here's what it sounds like. Just to, just to, here's what it sounds like. Man, if the Democrats get elected, the nation's going to hell in a handbasket. Man, if the Republican, man, if, if they get reelected this November, we're, it's down the tubes, man. I don't know if we can survive. That's what it sounds like, right? And you can, you can make your own variation of that, but we find ourselves worried about politics. If your Facebook posting is dominated by unhindered support for a political candidate or party, where it ought to be dominated by Jesus... It sounds like you might be a redneck joke, but it's not. You might be, you might have your politics above the kingdom. If you spend lots of time watching cable news or constantly checking the news feed on your phone, there's a chance that your politics are ahead of the kingdom of God in your life. Now, up until about 10 years ago, so I'm 39, so up until about 10 years ago, some of you were like, oh, that's your problem. Um, there was just like some perked up. It's like, oh, I see. I see what's wrong with you now. Um, but up until about 10 years ago, so I, I graduated high school in 1998. 
and I went to work at Radio Shack, and I bought a TV, and I thought I was big stuff. Um, it was a 27-inch TV, which was huge to me. Um, and I, uh, I bought some coaxial cable, and I bought a splitter, and I split off of my parents' cable line, and I ran it into my bedroom. And, like, I had TV in my bedroom that was cable and color. Some of you don't understand why that was such a big deal. I had color cable TV in my bedroom. And so for the 2000 election, I watched all of it, right? Like, this is like, those of you who remember George W. Bush and, and the, the, the whole thing, I would watch this guy, he would, he would stand up, he would give his speech, and then he would leave on an airplane. And an hour would co- go by, and then they would cut to him again, dun, dun, right? That's how cable news does, right? Scares the hell out of you. Can I say that? the heck? Sorry, some of you are never coming back now. So, (laughs) but it's, right? Dun, dun. You're like, something's happening. Right? And he would walk off the airplane, stand up in front, and give the exact same speech again. And then he'd walk back up on the airplane, he'd shake some hands and leave. Dun, dun. An hour later, same speech. I watched that stuff. I mean, we tell our kids that video games will rot your brain. I'm fairly certain my brain rotted for like 12 months. And I watched all of this stuff till we ended up with the, the whole election thing and the hanging chads and the whole, those of you who are, remember that, that and, and we end up, okay, we have the president is elected and now here we go. And I watched cable news like it was my job for years. I found myself increasingly cynical and angry got to about 2010, and I really kind of began to process. I felt like God was speaking to me about my anger and my sort of cynicism. And I felt like God called me to, for a season, fast watching cable news. Just, just don't for three months. And so I didn't. I didn't turn it on cable news for three months. And several things happened to me. First of all, I realized that without 24-hour cable news on, there really isn't much on cable. If you have cable, like, you're paying for, like, the same channel, like, nine times, right? Like, if you turn off the 24-hour cycle, all that's left is, like, reruns of Friends, Seinfeld, like, right? There's nothing wrong with Seinfeld or Friends if that's the thing that gets you hung up, okay? <laughs> um, but, like, there's nothing else on cable, right? And so I, I, I got to the end of three months, and I looked at Jerry, and I was like, I think we could do without cable, don't you? We cut cable. We got rid of it. It saved us a whole bunch of money, too. We were paying, like, I don't know, 70 bucks for the same channel over and over and over and over again. So I got rid of that, and here's something that I realized. When I quit watching cable news, I instantly got happier like noticeably. My outlook on life was better, noticeably better. I've, I remember walking to church one, one uh, Saturday night, and we were walking, this, and at the church we went to, it was a long walk. It's probably a long walk for some of you. If you were late, you get parked way down there. But, um, and I remember walking and like looking, and I was like, I feel way different 
What's different? Oh, dun, dun. That's not going on in my head anymore. But here's something else that happened in my life. Instead of just believing what the television told me was important and believing what they believed and feeling the way they told me to feel, I sought out, I would find a headline, and then I would sort of try to understand the story, and then I would take it to God, and I would go, God, what did, how should I think about this? Like, what sh- what's the right way to think about this particular thing? What's, how, what's the biblical way to consider this thing? And I began to seek the kingdom with respect to politics. And here's what happens when you put the kingdom ahead of your politics. Worry fades away. Worry fades away. You see, when you put the kingdom first, fear turns to faith, and you don't have to fear what happens whenever the Republicans win or the Democrats win because you know the gates of hell will never overcome the kingdom. I mean, that's not what Jesus said. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. If you stop allowing yourself to be marketed to in that way and you begin to hold that before the Lord, what you're going to find is you won't worry about politics. Do you know who's not worried about November? This guy. Not worried at all. Am I going to vote? Absolutely. Am I going to tell you who I'm going to vote for? Never. (laughs) It also frees you, if you do this, it also frees you to hold your elected officials accountable, which is a role of the follower of Jesus. Yes, the authority was given to the elected official by God, but guess what? They are held to account, or they're supposed to be, But it's really, 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 really hard to hold your elected officials to account when you're in their pocket. It's really hard. The last presidential election cycle, I heard so many people from both sides talk about picking the lesser of two evils. And many of you probably have the same, you've said the same thing. I've heard it a lot of times. I was picking between the lesser of two evils, but here's what usually happened, not always. Here's what usually happened when people would say that to me. I was picking between the lesser of two evils, and the one I didn't pick was so bad. But we never point out the evil in the one that we picked. Andy Stanley, many of you know Andy Stanley, pastor in uh, Atlanta, he said this, when forced to choose between the lesser of two evils, you still have to call out the evil. It's still your job as a follower of Jesus to hold the elected officials to account for how they've handled the authority God has given them. Does a Christian have to align with the political party? That's the question we're addressing. And the answer to this question is no. I would say that unless Jesus himself was running for the office, you're not going to, like anyone else is a concession. Everyone else should disappoint you a little bit. It should hurt a little bit to vote for anyone else. You should go, well, Jesus, man, he cares about these people and you don't seem to care about those people. But Jesus also cares about these people, and they don't seem to care about these people either. It should hurt you to vote, because guess what? It's Jesus that we're after. If the kingdom is the standard, everybody else, including you and me, falls short. Right? 
So it shouldn't be a nice and easy, I just check the box and I fit neatly in a political party because I'm a Christian. That should never happen. If it does, if Jesus sounds just like you, guess who's wrong? Scowl. Some of you got real happy too. There was like a mix. But let me make this clear though. I'm not advocating that you not vote or not participate in the political process. I think it's a tremendous gift that we get to be a part of selecting the people who represent us. I think that's awesome. Nowhere in the Bible does it ever talk about that. Nowhere in the Bible do, do like the Israelites get to go, hmm, I'm going to cast a vote for David. You're going to I mean, that just doesn't happen. Nowhere. Like, this is a tremendous gift. But what I'm saying is that you should consider your vote in light of the kingdom of God, not the other way around. We shouldn't try to make the kingdom meet what our vote is going to be. We should make our vote match what the kingdom is. So how do we move forward? I think one of the more surprising things that people find out is that there are wholly devoted, sincere followers of Jesus on all sides of the political spectrum. If you go to Europe, the party that people call the Christian party is actually the left-wing party. It's a little bit weird. Here you would say, wow, it's the, the right-wing party is, tends to be known as. There are people on all sides of the political spectrum who are wholly sold-out followers of Jesus. And you may say, well, I don't understand how somebody can be a Christian and be a Democrat, or I don't understand how somebody can be a Christian and be a Republican. And can I just uh, suggest to you that this may be an opportunity for you to grow? If you don't understand, maybe it's incumbent on you to learn. Not that you have to change your mind. You don't have to decide, well, I'm wrong. Maybe you do. I don't know. But can I just su suggest that maybe you would go and have a conversation with somebody who has a different opinion than you? I mean, maybe, maybe we would find somebody on the opposite end of the political spectrum and say, listen, I'm really trying to understand this, and I don't. Can you help educate me? on why it is that you believe this. I really want to know. I genuinely want to know. And what I think you may discover is that the political leanings that people have are, are shaped by the time, space, and manner in which they grew up and in which they now live. In other words, your perspective depends on where you sit, right? The experience of the white person in America politically is entirely different than the experience of the black person in, in politics in America. It's entirely different. The experience of a rich person who's always been rich politically is different than the experience of someone who has had to scrape by every day of their lives. Entirely different. And maybe what would happen if you had a conversation with people who have a different political leaning than you is you might discover areas of growth for you and areas of compassion where maybe you have, God is calling you to do something. Just a suggestion. I'm not saying you have to change your perspective, but what if you were able to deeply understand someone? Would there maybe then be a bridge built for you? To share the gospel with somebody? Could it be that this is what Jesus intended? Listen, over the next eight months in our country, 
People are going to be talking past one another. They're going to be labeling each other. They're going to be calling each other names. They're going to add, the thing I hate about the, the political fray nowadays is like that like somebody can't just be it can't just be Derek. It has to be like I have to like I have to append some sort of like label to your name in order so that everybody knows how they should think about you. Right? And I, I'll stop with that, that statement because it goes a little bit further than that. Um, but we'll be, all through the next eight months, people are going to be calling each other names, writing people off. What a tremendous opportunity for the body of Christ to show a different way. Could it be that we, the, the headline at the end of the 2020 election is, the church of Jesus Christ sought to understand people in an, in an arena where nobody else does? Could it be that this is an opportunity for us? What if we could have a conversation with someone we disagreed with in, in order to understand their perspective? And what if this conversation was respectful and full of grace because we understood that we are kingdom people first? For some of you, this thought stirs great anxiety. Like, like there's no way. There's no way. Some of you, that, that thought stirs like, that's a conversation with my parents I'm never going to have. That's a conversation with my coworker that I'm never going to have. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, let me make a suggestion that will shift your ability to have conversations that stir anxiety in you. I want you to consider, like we've been advertising and talking about this faith walking thing, I want you to consider participating in the March 13th and 14th Faith Walking 101 retreat. And the reason I want you to consider that is because it will help you have respectful conversations where you manage the anxiety inside you and actually get to know somebody. If the thing that keeps you from having these conversations with people who are different from you is anxiety and emotional reaction, I want you to consider it. At least consider it. It'll help you grow in emotional health, identify the things that happen in your life that cause you to react the way you do and begin to live into a more healthy way of being. There's a number of people in this room who have already done it or are in the middle of it. If you're someone who has been kept from surrendering to Jesus because you thought it meant you had to become someone else, I have to become a political party that I just cannot get with, I want you to understand Jesus didn't come to take sides, he came to take over. To me, that's an extremely comforting feeling to know that I don't have to figure it out, that I don't have to choose the right side, but that as long as I stay submitted and surrendered to Jesus, he takes care of that stuff. That's an extremely comforting thought to me. When you say yes to a life with Jesus, you're not saying yes to a political party. You're saying yes to a kingdom that is making all things new again and a Savior who wants you to come just as you are. Warts and all. Even though you're the right one politically and everyone else is wrong, he wants you that way too. For all of us, you will not know peace until you once and for all put the kingdom of God ahead of your politics. You just won't know peace. You'll worry. Every four years, you'll ride this roller coaster, and then there'll be the midterms that you have to ride the roller coaster again. Could it be that we would be a people who have been changed, who have put the kingdom ahead of our politics?